Okay, Gospel of Mark, Book of Mark or Gospel of Mark, whichever one you want to call it, but um, it's written um, um, by young Mark. He's, I didn't put any history about him really in the, uh, in the uh, slide presentation about his life. Uh, let's get this to work, hope it'll work. Um, so anyway, ask yourself again, if you've not already answered the question to yourself, which gospel account is your favorite, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Last week we looked at Matthew, and we talked about how each one of them, they give a different, um, I mean, they're talking about Jesus, everything is the same as far as that goes, but the way they give a different viewpoint. And I gave the example, as I often talk about how it's like taking a, taking a diamond or a beautiful jewel of some type, and turning it at the light. And every time you turn it, you see something see uh, something beautiful there. And then also we likened it to if you were eyewitness to an accident or, or to a robbery or something like that, and uh, you were questioned by the police to give your viewpoint, what you saw. Um, those words are valuable if they... If there's something, you know, with an insurance claim or if there's something with a, um, uh, with, with a, you know, with a arrest or something like that, your words are valuable. And what you saw, you might not have seen it from an angle that somebody else saw. Same wreck or same robbery or whatever, uh, but you saw something different. You saw a detail someone else did. Just that's what the gospel accounts are. They give four different detailed accounts of our Savior. And uh, they, they give um, his, uh, uh, some of them, well, Matthew and, and Luke, and we'll talk about that next week some more, um, go into, you know, his, his genealogy, his birth, and talk a little bit about his early life. Uh, in the book of Luke, it, talk, it records how, you know, he was there in the temple at 12 years old. And so just a very little of his early life, we don't know much about that until his ministry begins. And so you see in those four books, um, highlights of his of his ministry from the time he began after he was baptized by John the Baptist until the time of his crucifixion and resurrection. So the gospel accounts give um, you know they don't give full detail everything they give they give uh, uh, details of enough though that we need to know about his ministry. So Mark is uh, he's a young man and he actually his his name is seen um, in a couple of places in the book of First Peter. He is basically um, Peter's son in the Lord. That is, he, he led him to Christ, most likely, and probably discipled Mark. And his name's also uh, John Mark. Is a, lot of, a lot of folks in that day went by one or both names, and sometimes just one. His name is John Mark. You see him referred to as Mark. But also, sometimes in the book of Acts, he's called John. And uh, you have to read in the context to find out that he's not the same as the Apostle John. So uh, here is, here's a man named John Mark. Some, sometimes it goes by Mark, sometimes by John. And, but anyway, um, he um, also was a nephew to Barnabas. And so uh, the book of Acts records a little bit about him, a little more about him, about him personally and so forth. We're going to look at, at the gospel account that he wrote. Last, year, uh, last week, we talked about how... Um, I don't know why I put that Luke events. I should say life events of Jesus. I was doing two things at one time, and that gets me in trouble sometimes. I was actually trying to work on Luke's uh, for next week too. But anyway, um, life events is what that should say of Jesus' life and ministry. We're, of course, roughly about 30 to 33 A.D. if the calendar's right. And, and some say that the calendar's off a couple of years because the year, what we would think of as zero, is actually maybe minus four or plus four. So the calendar got messed with by one of the popes years ago. Leave it to a pope to mess something up. But anyway, so 30 to 33 A.D. roughly is the time of Jesus' life and ministry. Matthew wrote his roughly. I gave you the wrong date last week, and it might have been a typo. I think I said 57 or something. He wrote his roughly about 
37 A.D. He wrote his probably right, not, not too long after the crucifixion uh, and resurrection. Um, and Matthew is not seen past chapter 1 in the book of Acts. So quite likely, whatever Matthew was doing ministry-wise, he was already doing elsewhere um, after the apostles started to, to scatter later on in the book of Acts. So nevertheless, about 37 is when Matthew wrote. But Mark didn't write till about 57. AD. He's a younger man, and he wrote about 57 AD. Actually, probably a lot of information he got from Peter uh, as far as talking to him, but nevertheless, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write just as he did Matthew, Luke, and John. Uh, he, he inspired him also. And as you read through uh, the books of the Bible, any of them, especially in the Gospels, you see this, how the, their style of writing is unique to the individual. Um, when the Holy Spirit inspired them to write, he didn't take over their personality. Um, there's some that believe what they call the dictation theory of, of inspiration, where basically the person writing just, you know, just sits there and becomes a, um, you know, kind of uh, open mind and they just write. Um, I don't agree with that theory. I think the Lord worked uh, through the Holy Spirit through them, through their personality. Because when you read, they all write from a different angle. We talked about that about, about Matthew and we'll talk about that tonight, about Mark, of course. So he wrote some, somewhere about 57 A.D., so immediately we're going to go ahead and take the scenic route. The action, it is called the action gospel. You know, each of those, each book of the Bible so far, we've tried to find a word or a phrase that kind of typifies the whole book. Mark's is the action gospel. Um, there's 16 chapters there, and uh, we'll see another slide in a moment why this is called the action gospel. But for whatever reason, it contains less verses of Jesus speaking than the other three. Uh, the other three, especially Matthew and Luke, I think, uh, well, John has, has a lot in, in several chapters. But the other three gospel writers include a lot more of what Jesus said. Uh, but there's less of it in, in Mark's gospel. I think we'll find out why when we dig a little deeper here. So he, in the action gospel of Mark, there are four parables Whereas Matthew had a lot more than that, so did Luke and, and uh, John had a few of them. But Matthew and Luke especially had a lot more parables. But Mark records 20 miracles. So we said action gospel. So he focuses more on the things Jesus did than what he said. What he said is important, of course, but he focuses more on the things Jesus did, especially parables there. The word straightway occurs 19 times. The word immediately occurs 17 times. Straightway means going from this point to this point. Basically the same thing as the word immediately. Going from this point to this point. The word and occurs 1,331 times in Mark. And always connects two thoughts or two events. And so the idea of that so many ands in there is it's going from one accomplishment or action to another in Jesus' ministry. It just kind of abruptly goes from, from uh, event to event to event. Uh, Matthew focuses a lot on some, on some parables in some of Jesus' sermons. Last week we talked about the Sermon on the Mount. That's three chapters in one book. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew, three of his 28 chapters. But Mark just goes from event to event to event. So are you seeing how they write different? Their style's different? Um, Matthew's main audience was, were the Jews, was Israel. And that's why he talked about, and if you missed last week, if you'll go back and listen to, his emphasis, even though he talked about the kingdom of God a few times, his emphasis was on the kingdom of heaven. And again, remember we said last week, the kingdom of heaven is not where God dwells. The kingdom of heaven is basically what we would think of in the future when Jesus comes to reign, heaven on earth. 
The kingdom of heaven and heaven are two different things. Um, but Mark talks a good bit about the kingdom of God. Matthew's the only one that mentions the kingdom of heaven. So his audience is a Jewish audience. Is it still a book for you and me? Of course. But we have to look at it and read it through those eyes that it's a Jewish audience. Mark's main audience were the Romans. Remember, they lived under Roman control, Roman government. And so his main audience were the, were the Romans. Doesn't mean that we don't, the book's not for us. It doesn't mean that. The book is for us. All the scripture was written, written to us, but not all the scripture, excuse me, back that up, Barry. I got a cavity done today, so I'm, I'm going to blame it on, the, on the, stuff, the nerve stuff. All the Bible was written for us, but not all the Bible was written to us. There's a big difference. And when you study the scripture, you'll understand that. But anyway, the Romans were the main audience. Mark's gospel has no genealogy in it because Mark writes about Jesus as a servant. Matthew writes about him as a king. Remember early on, um, it talks about his lineage and he goes all the way back to David and then farther back to that, to Abraham. Abraham began the Jewish race. David is the, uh, is the main king. He was a man after God's own heart. And so He's traced back in Matthew's gospel to both of them. In Mark's gospel, there's not, there's not a genealogy because a servant doesn't need one. A king does. Matthew included it. Mark did not because a servant does not need one. He includes more of, and actually I should have put on here, Jesus and others as well. How Jesus and others thought and felt. Grief. Anger, you see, we'll see Jesus get angry in, in the Gospel of Mark here in a moment. Love, pity, even where he sighs, even though that's mentioned, and I think Luke mentions it one time, where he's hungry, where he gets weary, that's recorded in Mark's Gospel. He writes Jesus as a servant, a servant who works and serves. They're going to feel these emotions, not that others would not, but he focuses on that, and, and that's part of the way he... the, the um, the, the viewpoint that Mark takes when he uh, describes Jesus and others too. He, he, he mentions the um, grief and anger and so forth of other people. Similar to Isaiah, Mark focuses on the servanthood of Jesus. But, and also similar to John, he emphasizes the power of Jesus' miracles. Uh, John records uh, seven uh, or eight miracles about, uh, that Jesus did. If you include the resurrection, it'd be, be eight definitely. But he focuses, just like John, he focuses and emphasizes the power of his miracles. Again, remember, Mark is about doing, not so much about the things Jesus said, although he includes that, but he's more about doing the things he did. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 13, he talks about the preparation, the ministry of Jesus. It begins abruptly, like Mark's style of doing. He goes right into it. I mean, he, he, he jumps right into it without writing anything about this is written for this. He just starts right in at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets. We'll come to that in just a second. So chapter 1, verse 1 to 13 is a preparation for his ministry. And as you read down through there, you see um, where... It includes about John the Baptist and how he's baptized by John. But this is all quick. John takes a lot more time on that. John the, John the gospel writer, the, the apostle, takes a lot more time of that in his gospel account, and, as does Matthew, than, than Mark does. So it's the preparation of his ministry. His ministry begins 
right after he's baptized publicly. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. As it's written in the prophets, there are two there. Uh, one is in verse 2 and one is in verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 2 is written as the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall pre prepare thy way before thee. And that's a quote from Malachi, chapter 3. We're, we looked at Malachi a couple of weeks ago when we closed out the Old Testament. And that quote is from Malachi 3, verse 1. Then he gives the next prophet in, in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And that comes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. So there are two prophets that he quotes right there at the beginning. Then that's basically all the introduction you see. He jumps right into John's ministry, John the Baptist, and then Jesus' baptism. So that's the, uh, uh, that's the uh, beginning of his ministry. Verse 12 and 13, it records real briefly the temptation of Jesus Mark and Luke take time to describe it in a lot more detail. Remember how, um, well, if you remember their description of it, it says Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted. Satan tempts him three different times, right? Right there back to back. Well, Mark doesn't record those three times. Well, let's look real quick what he says before we move on. Verse 12 and 13. Immediately the Spirit drive, driveth him in the wilderness, just as Luke, uh, Matthew and Luke talk about. Verse 13. He was there in the wilderness 40 days. Matthew and Luke talk about that. Tempted of Satan, they talk about that. This, but he adds a little bitty detail that, that, that Matthew and Luke do not add. He was with the wild beasts. There were wild animals all around him, all those 40 days uh, in the wilderness, uh, and angels ministering to him. So he just puts that in real quick in two verses, and he moves on. So you see the abruptness of the way he writes. Notice verse 11, And there came a voice from heaven. Thou art my beloved son, whom I will please. Verse 12, and immediately the Spirit drives him. Verse 13, and he was there in the wilderness. So Mark just goes from action to action, from event to event. All right, and then you get to uh, a good portion of the book of Mark, roughly about half of the book, actually. Chapter 1, verse 14 to chapter 9, verse 50, and it gives his ministry in Galilee. Galilee is where he kind of, you know, where he grew up pretty much, and where, where after he is, you know, was born in Bethlehem, he grew up really around the region of Galilee. His ministry began around Galilee. That's north of Bethlehem, north of Jerusalem, um, and just in the area of the common people, where, you know, fishermen, that's where he ends up meeting Matthew, or meeting Mark, uh, excuse me, I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, John meets him and, and Peter and Andrew. He meets, he meets them um, as they are fishermen there. He meets them in Galilee. Uh, some miracles that he does. We won't record all of those. There are about 20 that he does. But we're just looking in the, uh, a little bit about the ministry in Galilee. In chapter 1, verse 29 to 31, he heals Peter's mother-in-law who'd been sick. Um, then he casts out unclean spirits in chapter 1, verse 21 to 39. We'll actually come back to the third one here, chapter 5, in just a moment. But there are one, two, three, four, five places in Mark's gospel where Jesus casts out unclean spirits. And so uh, Matthew, Luke, they record those uh, as well, but I don't know if they have all five of the uh, events that he does. So he records where Jesus casts out unclean spirits. So remember, miracles, it's doing things, it's action gospel. We'll come back to chapter 5 in just a little bit. Um, and then he heals a leper, chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. Uh, he heals a palsied man. In chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, and then he casts out those unclean spirits in chapter 5. Go, look with me in chapter 2 for just a moment. Um, and he entered in Capernaum after some days. That's up there not far from Galilee. 
And it was noise that was in the house. So he went to somebody's house there. The scripture doesn't say who it was. It could have been maybe Peter's house, somebody, one of the disciples or something. Um, he goes into a house there. And then it says, straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. That place was packed. It was a crowded house. And he preached the word unto them. So however many were in there and probably people standing outside, um, they, they could, nobody else could get in. So, verse 3, they came unto him bringing one of the sick of the palsy, which was born of four. That is, four people carried him. B-O-R-N-E means he was carried by them. He, four people uh, carried this man who was sick. He had the palsy. He was probably not able to stand at all. Verse 4, and when they could not come nigh to him for the press... Then covered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. Now, you ever heard anybody say, if I ever go to church, the roof will fall through? Well, they went to church, and the roof fell through. Um, they opened the, the roof up, and it uh, says that Jesus saw their faith, said to the sick, Son, thy sins will be forgiven thee. So he addresses his spiritual issue before he even addresses the physical need of healing. And so... That's one of my favorite things in the book of Mark, and only Mark records this. Uh, that's one of my favorite miracles that Jesus does. There's a picture that the artist rendition you know, of the where they let him down through there. Of course, that's probably pretty neatly the way they did the, the roof. It was probably uh, a bigger, bigger mess than that. But anyway, they opened the roof up to let the man down, and Jesus, Jesus heals him. So um, that's one of my favorite miracles probably um, in, in all of Jesus' ministry, especially Mark. Then you get over to chapter 5. And it talks about a man who had unclean spirits. He was possessed of devils. And verse 1 to 20, it, it records um, how he had been there probably a long time. And that's, the people knew him. He was probably an a urban, won't say a legend, because, well, maybe an urban legend, I guess you'd say. But it was a tr you know, true. And this man was, everybody knew about him, apparently. And so he hung around the tombs. And he um, was had extra, uh, you know, he had superhuman strength. He broke fetters in, in pieces. Nobody could tame him. Um, and Jesus asked him, um, or he addresses Jesus. Look what he says in verse 7. Cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God, thou torment me not. James records in the book of James that devils believe and tremble. And so this devil was trembling as he addresses Jesus and uh, says, who, are, who art thou? Now, of course, a, a devil can't be saved, but he addressed him for who he was uh, and asked him who he was. Um, he says, Jesus, thou son of the most high God. He says, I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. So he knew who Jesus was. He recognized him. And he believed that he was who he was. But see, devils can't be saved, so uh, it's a moot point. James says that. Um, the, the, the devils believe and tremble. Um, then he says, come out of the man, the unclean spirit, verse 8. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. He had more than one in him. Uh, legion was usually um, several hundreds, um, some say even more than that. A legion in an army was, was several hundred um, troops. And so it says, we are many, that probably means a lot. He was possessed of a great number of devils. Um, and the scripture says that... Um, they besought him that he would not send them out of the country, uh, but Jesus did. He sent him into those swine that were feeding. It says there in the next few verses, 11, 12, send him to the swine, verse uh, 12, they may enter in. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and unclean spirits went out and entered to the swine. They ran violently down a steep place into the sea. 
Um, excuse me, there it is, 2,000. I knew I was looking for the number. 2,000, they choked in the sea. So there is the first case in the Bible of deviled ham. So verse 14, they fed the swine. swine. No, nothing. Okay, nobody got that. Okay, anyway, uh, maybe three of you. But anyway, so he cast those unclean spirits, and we see uh, this is probably the most detailed one. In fact, after that happens, the Bible says, I love this verse that describes this man after it happens. Look what it says in verse 15. And they come to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil, people all over the countryside that knew. And he had the, uh, and had the legion, the 2,000, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they rejoiced. No, they were afraid. What is this all about? We're used to this guy being the crazy man to talk about, everybody talks about, but he's not that way anymore. And um, it was told them, and look what they do in verse 17. They begin to pray him to depart out of their coasts. Wow. I believe I'd want to talk to that guy. I'd want to talk to him. What, what a change in your life, man. You went from this to this. You went from night to day. Tell me about it. I'm sure he would have sat down and talked to any of them, but they ran him out of town. Isn't that sad? They missed a, a blessing. Okay, so we need to move on. His ministry in Galilee. We're going to take a scenic route again. We see in chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, Jesus uh, is, is teaching, is preaching, and then uh, outside of where he's uh, talking there at the time, there, is, um, uh, it, there, there appears at the time come to visit him as Mary, his mother, and uh, his siblings. Verse uh, 1, he went out from this and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? So they'd heard about him. Maybe some of them actually saw him do things. Um, they probably had heard about the man in the previous chapter. Verse 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. He goes from country to relatives, smaller group of people, and then his house. But it mentions here, it says Mary uh, is not this um, the carpenter, the son of Mary. So in those days, a young man, as he's growing up, by the time he hits uh, teen years, he usually takes on the trade of his father. We know Joseph was a carpenter. And so until Jesus' ministry began, that's what he did. He took on the trade of his father. But um, it just says, um, is not um, this the carpenter, the son of Mary? It's interesting that Joseph's not mentioned here because they would know that Jesus' earthly father uh, was Joseph. That's how he learned that trade. But Joseph's not mentioned. It's a very good chance that he had already died by this point, that Joseph was already deceased. Um, the Scripture doesn't say when, doesn't say that he, that he died before Mary uh, did, but uh, most likely at this point, he probably had already died. He could have been back home working, but he may have already been uh, deceased by this time. And then it lists his four brothers and names them. All four of those names were common names in those days. Uh, I mean, he has disciples by the name of James. He has one by the name of... Um, uh, Ju uh, Judas, with an S on the end, one by Simon. So four brothers uh, are mentioned. Of course, Jesus being the oldest, and then the four brothers, and then it says two sisters, it says sisters, plural. That means at least two, and they're unnamed. But uh, so there's James, which if this is in order, he's probably the one, uh, at least the boy born after Jesus was born. 
uh, born, James was born to, to Joseph and Mary. And then uh, Joseph's, that's just, you can tell that's a little derivative of Joseph. So he probably was Joe Jr. is my guess. And then Judah and Simon, and then at least two sisters. So they're all, they're all gathered there, uh, come to see him um, and uh, to, to visit him while he's preaching. So going back to our outline. So that's his ministry in Galilee. Then he has uh, recorded, it records only one chapter in Mark of his ministry in Jerusalem. And Mark, uh, we mentioned last week that Matthew wasn't necessarily written in chronological order. From what we can tell, Mark's, Mark's gospel is. It's pretty much, even though he don't you know, include everything the others do, as far as time-wise go, timeline goes, he's, he's probably in chronological order from when it began to the crucifixion and the resurrection. So at least it, it only has one chapter in Jerusalem. And again showing you that Matthew focuses more on that because he writes to the Jews. Mark writes mostly to the Romans. And so he only spends one chapter of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. And then the next chapters from chapter 11 to chapter 16, those uh, seven chapters are all on uh, what we call Passion Week. From Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the crucifixion, um, where they you know wave the palm branches, chapter eleven, uh, through all through that week, the Passover, um, and then you know of course Jesus was crucified about that time, and then rose from the dead um, on that following uh, Sunday, uh, first day of the week. So those chapters cover chapter eleven through fifteen. Let me back that up. That would be six chapters. I'm sorry. Those six chapters cover that Passion Week. That whole week they spend uh, on events where Jesus uh, heals some and does this several things, but all that spent. So a great deal of Mark's book is just on that one week. And then chapter 16, verse 1 to 20 are his last words and actions before he ascends back to heaven. Chapter 16 begins with the resurrection, and then it records some of the, the words he had, the commands he gave to the apostles, and then it ends with um, his ascension back to heaven. We'll, we'll tie that together with the other references in just a moment. Chapter 13, going back to our mileage and efficiency, we won't, you don't have to turn there, but this, this chapter is parallel with Matthew 24 and Luke 21. All three of these are basically, the, I mean, they're the same thing, same event. It's just that, as often they do, one mentions details the other do not, does not, that the, others, that the other does not. I'm getting my words right. But they, all three of them are about the tribulation, what will come to pass. Matthew's is a little bit longer Matthew talks a lot more about it uh, in, in some ways than, than Mark and Luke talk about it, but um, because Matthew ends his chapter up with some parables about the kingdom of heaven, and Matthew and, and Luke, or excuse me, Mark and Luke do not go quite that detail. So during that Passion Week, um, that's included there where Jesus is at the temple and he sees the widow put in the two mites, and then he begins to talk about the, uh, what's to come. Scenic route again. 40% of Mark's gospel is concerning those last eight days. So those chapters we talked about make up about 40% from Palm Sunday to crucifixion. And actually, if you want to finish out chapter 16 with uh, included there. Uh, so these are some of the events of the uh, last week. Uh, in chapter 14, verse 1 to 11, they're in Bethany outside of Jerusalem where he's worshipped by many. Uh, and then that's, um, that's after Palm Sunday. He's worshipped by many, and then he's, his feet are anointed with the, uh, with the ointment. 
then the upper room and the last fellowship with his disciples. Um, right, as, as they're being together and they have what we observe Sunday, communion, some people call it the Last Supper or Lord's Supper. Um, they observe that together in, in that section of uh, chapter 14. And then, of course, by the time that section ends, that's when Judas goes out to betray him. Then Gethsemane is in chapter 14, verse 27 to 52, where he suffers, where he's praying. And um, we'll see this next week, Lord willing, in Luke. But while he's praying there in Gethsemane, he begins to, to sweat great drops of blood, Luke records. And so he's suffering there as he prays in Gethsemane. Uh, and that's when the disciples go to sleep and he asks them, Can you not, could you not watch with me, pray with me for an hour? And then he's forsaken as uh, Judas comes in and betrays him. Then he's forsaken and left alone. Then um, he was uh, uh, denied in the high priest's palace. That's when Peter denied him. When he was there the night or the, the same time right after he was betrayed and forsaken, Peter watches from afar and the woman asks him, do you, you know, weren't you with Jesus? Don't, don't you know him? Weren't you with the Galilean? And three times he denies uh, Jesus, there is, is Jesus in the high priest's palace. And then he goes to Pilate's judgment hall and he's condemned. Uh, and then Pilate washes his hands and says, I, I won't be guilty of the blood of this man, but the uh, crowd wanted to crucify him. He's crucified and, at Golgotha. It's called the place of a skull. And John also records that. If you go with Mark 15, John also records it with that name. Um, Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 15, verse 22. And they bring him to the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. I've not been there personally. Anybody here have been to the Holy Land? They say that when you look at that hill, it's shaped like a skull, and they call it that. And ironically, that's where Romans would crucify uh, capital punishment. Place of a skull. John also calls it Golgotha. Luke calls it Calvary. So two names for the same place, and that's the way... That's oftentimes places have more than one name in Scripture. And so there he, there he was crucified. Then the resurrection is in chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. Uh, best news the world ever heard is when Jesus rose from the dead, and that's recorded in the first uh, little over half of that chapter um, where it's recorded and first day of the week they come to the sepulcher and uh, they're wondering who's going to roll away the stone. Mark records it when, when they get, get to the sepulcher that is rolled away there. And so uh, you see um, Mary Magdalene mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 9, where she had uh, come there to the tomb. And she went and told the disciples, passed that good news on to them. Then you get to um, chapter 16. Uh, let's pick up at verse 15 and read down through, and we'll, we'll see the uh, other verses that go with this. He said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So that's the key verse there about, you know, what we call the Great Commission uh, from Matthew. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, verse 17. And the emphasis there is on believing. Notice that. It doesn't say that uh, you have to, you know, believe and and be baptized in water to be saved, the emphasis is on believing, because it says, He that believeth not shall be damned. That's the emphasis there. Verse 17, These signs shall follow them that believe. Now, if you were here a couple of Sundays ago when we talked about our last message on spiritual gifts that I preached, um, the, these signs here were for the apostles. 
It, weren't, it wasn't for everybody that was saved uh, standing around. We know that they were for the apostles. And we, if you were here that Sunday, we went into the verses and talked about that and looked at some other references. But it says, this is what will happen to those that believe, speaking of the apostles. Uh, in my name shall they cast out devils. Um, back in the book of Matthew, Jesus sent them out one time and they did that very thing. They cast out unclean spirits. They shall speak with new tongues. And that was a new thing that was mentioned. It wasn't mentioned in other places uh, previously, but when you get to the book of Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what they do. They speak with new tongues, new languages. Verse 18, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And the apostles did that many times. And you go into Acts, John does that, um, or Peter and John. Um, Paul does that. Also, uh, he's able to heal. Verse 19, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, unto the apostles, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, just as he told them to do. Then when you go over to Matthew 28, it gives what we call the Great Commission, where he tells them, go ye, and, um, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, I'm with you all the way, even to the end of the world. The Bible says he ascended up into heaven there. Luke records uh, something similar uh, where Jesus, um, res- uh, Jesus ascends. But interestingly enough, John does not include the ascension for some reason. We'll get to that when we get to John's gospel. But in Luke 24, starting at verse 47, he tells them, uh, in repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you're witnesses of these things. Now, look what he says in verse 49, then we're going to go over to uh, the book of Acts. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And then the Bible says he blesses them, then he ascends up into heaven. But go with me to Acts 1 while that's fresh on your mind. Acts chapter 1. So he said the promise of the Father you'll be endued with power from on high. That's Luke recording that. Well, Luke also wrote the book of, uh, book of Acts. I know this is a little lengthy, but we're looking at, you know, the, after the resurrection, the ascension into heaven. So let's start verse 1, and I'll read down to verse 11. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. He's referring to the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up, after that through the Holy Ghost, He'd been given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. They were the ones that were to do those sign gifts. Um, for time's sake, we'll probably get back to this next week when we study Luke. But look at verse um, 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So remember he told them they would be endued with power. This is, the, this is what he's telling them. Um, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. It starts in Jerusalem, just spreads. Uh, verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, and said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So when you put all... Well, John doesn't record it. When you put the three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts there, you get the full picture detail. Um, and that all happens right there at the same time. Some include, you know, one of them includes words, the, others, the other uh, writers do not. 
But nevertheless, that's when he ascends back into heaven. He gives him those final, com- those final commands. So we see how Mark's verses there tie in with Matthew and Luke and also in Acts. All right, Mark's, uh, the tune-up for Mark. Let me see, did I do this right? Uh, I think so. Anyway, the tune-up for Mark. Go back to chapter 3, verse 5. And the tune-up is also the, um, well, the fuel-up is where we look at verses about Jesus or passages about Jesus. The tune-up is are practical things we, we learn. And then also the uh, home address, those are, those are memory verses. But I basically, as we study the, the Gospels, any of these verses are great memory verses. So, But in chapter 3, verse 5, here he has a run-in with religious leaders who um, were accusing him about healing and, and saying, you know, is it lawful to do that on, on the Sabbath days? And um, Jesus answers in verse 4, he says to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Verse 5, but when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. So Jesus got angry, but he didn't have a sinful anger. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. Some anger is what we call a rational, uh, or excuse me, a justified anger. Uh, some anger is, is anger that is uh, um, anger that, that's what some call righteous indignation. And so he got angry at them. Why? Because their hearts were hard. And the hardness of their hearts kept them from seeing the uh, need of this man who had need of healing. And they wanted to stand by the Sabbath. They would rather do that than to see this man healed. So Jesus, he did get angry, but he never sinned. When he did get angry, he didn't sin. It's recorded here that he did get angry. Then he talks about in chapter 7. Remember Mark mentioned the um, thoughts, uh, the feelings uh, we saw Jesus' anger there, just as, as we saw that Mark talks about these things more than the other gospel accounts. Here in Mark 7, verse 21 to 23, he talks about uh, the heart of man, about human sin nature. Verse 21 to 23, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed. And he gives the whole list, and he says in verse 23, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. So uh, Mark lists, Matthew does too, but Mark lists here, these things that come from man's sin nature, the, the uh, heart of uh, human beings is the heart of the problem. And he lists all those things that come from the heart. Then chapter 8, Mark says this about the value of, of our soul. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, let me see. I was looking for a place... Yeah, um, I'll come back to that, actually. Uh, the value of our soul. Yeah, let's come back to that. So um, Charles Spurgeon, pastor back in, uh, in England back in the uh, 19th century, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. That's a very good quote. There's a lot of truth in that. Uh, both are after a person's soul. When a person's saved, the devil knows he can't get your soul, but he'll do anything he can to try to discourage you. Uh, and so, um, you know, people, uh, I've heard people ask, you know, does everyone have a soul? Everyone is a soul. You don't just have a soul, you are a soul. And so what should a profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And so uh, it is precious, and it's very uh, precious to both God and the devil. Once the Lord owns that soul, Satan can't get to that soul, but he'll do anything he can short of that, because he knows he cannot take your salvation. 
the Lord has it. But it's very precious uh, to him. I got, a, I got this out of order. Um, this is the time frame of the crucifixion. Uh, I meant to uh, swap these slides and I didn't. I apologize for that. Back up your mind to the crucifixion. So 1525 mentions the third hour, which is about 9 a.m. when Jesus was nailed to the cross. 1533 of Mark was the sixth hour, which is noon, because they start measuring the, the hour of the day from 6 a.m. Um, so six hours would be noon, and there was darkness for three hours. The scripture says, Mark uh, mentions that in his gospel account that there was darkness for three hours while Jesus was on the cross. And that's when, at different times, Jesus made those seven statements from the cross. Uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, I thirst. Um, and then he calls out, you know, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So during those three hours is when, when that happens. And then the ninth hour, which will be 3 p.m., were his final words, it is finished, and he dies uh, verse 34 to 37. So sorry I got that slide mixed up. I knew something looked like it was out of order when this was here. Okay, fuel up. Jesus is called Son of Man 14 times in Mark's Gospel. He's called the Son of God only three times. Now, John calls him that um, several more times, and we'll see that when we get the Gospel of John. But the, the phrase Son of Man speaks of his humanity. Again, remember the viewpoint. Mark's writing about Jesus as a servant. So his emphasis is on humanity. It's not that Mark didn't believe in Jesus' deity. He just emphasizes the fact that he was human as well as God. And he spends a lot of time. Luke does the same thing. He spends a lot of time focusing on Jesus' humanity. We'll get that next week as a preview of what's to come. Uh, but three times he's called the Son of God, and it speaks of his deity. In chapter 5, verse 7, when we saw the man that was possessed of the 2,000, that evil, one evil spirit that, that spoke to the man called Jesus the Son of the Most High God. Nowhere else is that recorded in Scripture. That's an interesting thing. Here's an evil spirit calling him that. And he's not called that anywhere else in Scripture. Um, God is called the Most High God. Uh, he's referred to that in the book of Daniel and some other places, but... That unclean spirit is the one that records that. Strange thing, but he does call him that. So even these devils, these unclean spirits, these demons, they certainly recognize Jesus for who he is whenever he's in their presence or they're in his presence, however you want to look at it. So he's called the son of the most high God. So those are the times that he is mentioned in Mark's gospel. Again, these are the, these are the verses we talked about. Oh, there's, there's a couple of them I didn't mention when we were looking at Tune Up a while ago. Uh, chapter 4, verse 23 to 25, that's where Jesus gives a parable about the sow, uh, soil and the seed and the sower. Our Gideon referenced that Sunday morning, uh, talked about that. Uh, but we see there that light received brings more light. The more light you receive that God gives you from his word, he'll give you more light. And that's how you learn the scripture. Um, but one more I want to leave with you before we close. Mark chapter 6, and verse 31. Jesus had been ministering and the disciples had been with him. And when you read uh, before that, um, he had healed some folks and, and cast out some unclean spirits earlier in chapter 6. And then uh, right before what we're about to read is when um, it gives the account of John the Baptist when he was beheaded, when he was martyred. But, um, and the disciples heard of it. It says the disciples of John. 
and uh, put him in a tomb, verse 29, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things with what they had done and what they had taught. This is verse 31. He said to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So, you know, Jesus had to take a break. He got tired. And so sometimes you have to come apart before you fall apart. You get so tired, so exhausted. And he had to do that very thing. Jesus got tired. He was human as well as God. He got tired in his humanity, in his, fle- in his, in his human nature. He got tired in his human body. That's what I'm trying to say. He got tired. And so he needed to rest. And he told them, do the same thing. Come, come apart with me and rest. Jesus tells them uh, in Mark chapter 10, whosoever will be the greatest among you, uh, let him be servant. Let him be servant of all. And so the way to greatness in God's kingdom is being a servant. Um, not trying to be on top, climb the ladder so much, but to be a servant. And so the, the values of God's kingdom are completely, completely different from the values of the world. In 1237, it speaks of Jesus and his ministry there in Galilee. And it says and the common people heard him gladly. They wanted to hear what he had to say, even though the religious leaders of the day, they shut him off or they argued with him or they tried to accuse him of this or that. But the common folks wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to hear him. And because of that, many of them believed on him. All right? A few minutes early. Stop right there. Anything before we close tonight? Questions or any comments? We cruised on through that, didn't we? Uh, Mark is a short book, but it seems long when you read it just because of the fact. It's just one event, one event, one event. I mean, he moves from one thing to another. And um, the great thing about that with all the Gospels is if you take and cross-reference, <clears throat> if you have a study Bible that has the uh, cross-references like references to the other events in the, in the Gospels, um, take those cross-references and go back and read it, and you, you'll see details and gives you a bigger picture of what happened. So, all right, we'll stop there. Any, anything, Mark? Yes, Sharon? So the writers of the Gospel, can we assume they were all there? All those things, or did Mark maybe get his information? Um, a lot, a lot of writers say that Mark got a lot of his information from Peter, and he may have. But that that doesn't negate the fact that the Holy Spirit still inspired it, of course. But Mark, I don't know. He was a probably a young man, and um, we don't have anything that says that he was. Short answers: We don't have anything that says that he was like an eyewitness to any of it. We don't have anything that says he wasn't, but we don't have anything that says he was an eyewitness that saw. All of these, but he did, you know, he did write uh, what he said. Matthew, of course, was there, and John was there. Uh, Luke, that's another thing we'll see next week. Luke um, writes the Gospel of Luke, but we don't know that he was around at that time. Now, we know he's in the book of Acts with Paul, but, you know, so Luke might have been very similar. He might not have actually been present at the time when he wrote those things. So, hope that answers the question, but that's basically. We don't know if they were there at the time. Huh? Oh, right. Paul was for when he appeared to him, yeah. So, anyway, good question. Anything else? Remember the word gospel means good news, and each of these four gospel accounts are the good news of Jesus. The gospel of salvation, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, but this is the good news of Jesus' life, his ministry, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. So, all right, Lord willing, next week we'll get to Luke. Luke's uh, a little longer, of course, than, uh, than Mark. 
And he goes into a lot of details that Mark doesn't. Luke, being a doctor, we'll talk about that. He's a physician. And so you see, give you a little preview of things to come. When he describes some of the things about Jesus' suffering, he goes in a lot of detail. When he's the only one of the gospel writers when it talks about Jesus being in Gethsemane. He describes him as sweating great drops of blood. The others don't mention that. They mention him being in agony, but only Luke mentions that. <coughs> Excuse me. And then some of the things from the cross Luke mentions <coughs> that the others do not. I'm getting dry. Let's stand and close uh, with prayer and uh, head home, dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word and what we've seen tonight in the Gospel of Mark. And thank you for our Savior and his life and the fact that he was uh, human and the fact that he was God. He was both. And as we look at these Gospel accounts, Lord, we get uh, four wonderful accounts, um, these details, some that are very rich in, in, in just one Gospel that the others do not include. And we see... Um, more about our saviors, we study about him and we see his life and ministry that you would have for us to see. Um, there are many events, John says later on, we'll talk about John, that many of the things Jesus did, um, many books could not fill all those things. And so we know that you gave us what you want us to have, what we needed to have. And because of that, we're, we're grateful for uh, what we've learned through the Gospel of Mark tonight. Pray that you'll watch over us and keep us safe as we leave from here tonight and uh, bring us back safely to worship you Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.